Christians. Colossians chapter number one. I was thinking about this this morning that um, in all of the years that I have been preaching, I do not remember ever once preaching from the book of Colossians. I say that to my shame. It is a powerful book. I've quoted it, but I have never used it as my primary text. But we're going to be in it for the next several weeks. Colossians chapter number one. And we are going to begin at verse number 12. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse number 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. How many of you are thankful to the Father that He has qualified you to be partakers of a heavenly inheritance in Jesus' name? He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him... All the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Over the next several weeks, we are going to work through a new series that will lead us into Easter that is simply entitled, None But Christ. How many of you know there is none like Christ? There is none other than Christ. He is Almighty God, and He is worthy of our praise. Father, would You glorify Your name in this message. May Jesus, Your Son, be exalted. And Holy Spirit, we need You, because You came to exalt Jesus to reveal Jesus to mankind. So Holy Spirit, we need you to come and open up our eyes that we may see Jesus and the life that we have in Him. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Would you give the Lord praise one more time in His house here this morning? Amen. Come on, you can do better than that. Give Him praise in this house. Bless the Lord. Before you're seated, would you turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him in Jesus' name. 
As we are about to make our final approach into the Easter season, I thought that it would be good for us to spend the next several weeks moving into Easter, focusing our attention on the most important personality in the universe, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. No man in history has ever stepped upon the face of the earth that has been more important than Jesus of Nazareth. No man will ever emerge in the future that will compare to Him, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus split time in half. No one will ever have that impact upon the universe again. Everything in the past, the present, and the future will always be defined within the context of whether it happened B.C., before Christ, or A.D., in the year of our Lord. And yet the impact that He has had on history moves beyond human comprehension. Only eternity will reveal how deep His influence actually went. One of the arguments that you will hear leveled against the existence of Almighty God is if there is a loving God, how can He allow evil to take place? And yet no one ever considers all of the pain and suffering that never came into place because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is impossible to calculate the suffering, the pain, the anguish, the torment, the murder, the death, the anguish that will never occur in the world because men and women who would have perpetrated that pain upon the earth were one day subdued by the cross of Jesus Christ and their lives were transformed. And rather going out as an agent of evil, they went out as an angel of mercy and grace. We cannot even begin to calculate the suffering that never occurred on this earth because of the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. His teachings elevated women to equal status with men in an age when they were considered a commodity. His teachings also strengthened the family unit where fathers, though leaders, were never to be tyrants. Wives, though submitted to their husbands, were given a place of honor. And children, though instructed to be obedient to their parents, were treated with special dignity. His life and example has even brought about reformation in civil government. In fact, many governments today have been subdued by the cross of Jesus Christ, whether they realize it or not. Our own Constitution, Bill of Rights, and Declaration of Independence all have the fingerprints of Jesus upon them. Many of you know that much of the great literature of Greece and Rome and other civilizations in the ancient world would have been lost if it had not been for Christian monks who preserved that knowledge through finding, preserving, and copying ancient writings during the Middle Ages. Are you aware that believers who had a thirst for knowledge and wisdom 
literally started the first universities in Paris and London. Did you know that the printing of the Gutenberg Bible was considered by Time magazine the most important event of the past 500 years because it made truth and knowledge accessible to the masses? Have you even heard that followers of Christ for the advancement of Christian faith started the first 120 universities in the United States of America beginning with Harvard? Most of the major milestones in human education flow from one stream, faith in Jesus Christ. How about Isaac Newton, Galileo, Faraday, Lord Kelvin, and Louis Pasteur, who are just a sampling of hundreds, if not thousands, of Christian scientists that have made significant contribution to the sciences. We won't even take the time to talk about art and the significant influence that Christ had upon even the development of the fine arts. But can I tell you, above all of these irrefutable evidences for the greatness of Almighty God, on a completely grassroots level, on an organic level, every believer in this room this morning would agree with me that the greatest evidence of His greatness is reflected in the day that we met Christ and we became a new creation in Him. And the old passed away and everything became brand new. We were lost, but now we are found. We were blind, but now we see. We were bitter, we were angry, we were afflicted, we were addicted, we were tormented, demented, twisted, broken, wicked, homeless, hopeless, careless. Our lives were meaningless and our future was brightless. But one day Jesus opened our eyes and we saw that there was no other name given by which man may be saved but the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. Hallelujah. And we have come here this morning from different backgrounds, from different upbringings, from different experiences, but there is one thing we all have in common. The one thing that brings us all together from every tribe, race, and tongue is that we are all saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have come here today to celebrate His goodness and His mercy that endures forever. Come on, church. Give Him praise if you know what I'm talking about here this morning. Who is Jesus? And how important is that issue? What you believe about Christ, believe it or not, is impacting your life on every level. In an age where many claim to believe in God, to know God, and to pray to God, the real question is the question that Jesus asked of his disciples one day as recorded in Matthew 16. You may remember Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Or Elijah, or other, others, Jeremiah, or even one of the other prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who is Jesus? That is the more important question. You can tell me that you believe in God, that you know God, that you pray to God, but what I would ask you is, what will you do with this man named Jesus? 
You see, Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. Jesus didn't claim to be a way, he claimed to be the way. He didn't claim to be a truth, he claimed to be the truth. He did not claim to be a life, but he claimed to be the life, and that no man could actually come to the Father except through him. So you can boast to me today about how you know God, pray to God and believe in God but what I would ask you is God in your mind revealed in Jesus Christ because if you do not receive Christ as God then you do not know God because God is in Christ Jesus our Lord he is not merely a man if Jesus is just another teacher if he's just another prophet if he's just another moral man that graced our planet for a short time then there is simply nothing for us to celebrate this morning and we might as well all pack up and go home but if he is the Christ if he is the only anointed son of the living God crucified raised from the dead and coming again then what we think about him and what we do with him is of infinite importance and that's why I want to spend the next couple of weeks looking into this. Who is Jesus? Sadly, the great tragedy of the 21st century church is our refusal to spend the weekends of unveiling Christ. Today, the pulpits are no longer used for exalting Jesus, but rather exalting man. In pulpits all over the United States of America this morning, Jesus may be lifted up, but He is only lifted up so that you can see what He can do for you. He is lifted up only so that you can see how He can intervene within your heart and within your life. That is a man-made gospel. We have become so focused on self that when we give any attention exclusively to Christ, many men and women will complain. In fact, if I had my guess, there are some of you even now that are saying, Pastor Kurt, I'm glad we're talking about Jesus, but let's get real. I've got bills to pay. I've got kids to raise. I've got a marriage to save. I've lost my job. My parents are sick. I've got a college tuition to pay off and I can't get a job. I've got struggles in my personal life that I cannot shake free from. What does the identity of Jesus have to do with any of that? I just need you to stand there and tell me what he can do for me. How he's going to get me out of this. But can I tell you that that's the very problem that we're facing in the church today. We lift up Jesus and exalt him today as a means to an end. Look at what Jesus can do for you. Look what he can give you. Look what he can provide for you. Look at how he can satisfy you. Folks, if that is the only reason we lift up Jesus in our pulpit, then we are prostituting the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know how it ever got into our minds But we don't come to Jesus for what He can give us We don't come to Jesus because of what He can do for us We come to Him because there is none like Him Because He is worthy of all of our praise All of our glory All of our honor He needs to be lifted up So that we can surrender our lives for Him In Jesus' mighty name Come on, give Him praise Listen, some of you are either going to love me or hate me when this message is over. But let's be perfectly clear on something. Many of us, the reason that our lives are in a mess in the first place is because we think it's all about us. And we make all of our decisions based on what we want instead of lifting up Jesus and saying, it's not about me, it is about the glory of Almighty God and how I can live my life to bring Him praise, to bring Him honor. It's all about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Can you give him praise in this place?
What comes to your mind when you think of Jesus is more important than you could ever fathom. Because what you believe about Jesus shapes, forms, and informs your choices and your decisions. It decides your view on salvation, on forgiveness, on godliness, and even obedience. What comes to your mind when you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Because if history has proven anything to us, it has proven that men and women never, never rise beyond their understanding of Christ. And that we can predict with 100% accuracy the spiritual future of a man or a woman simply by examining his understanding of Jesus Christ. I can sit down with you and I can interview for you with you for a few moments and once I can ascertain what you think about Jesus, I can tell you what your spiritual state will be in the future based entirely upon your understanding of who Jesus is. And it is to this end that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter that we know as the book of Colossians. It's not actually a book. It is a letter that was written by Paul to Christians living in the ancient city of Colossae. Interestingly enough, Paul wrote this letter to address a number of attacks that were being leveled against the character and essential nature of Jesus Christ in the first century. It's amazing that some three decades after Jesus was on the earth, already men and women were attacking the character and nature of Jesus Christ. But you see, they understood what we need to understand today. If you can tear down the rock that Christianity is built on, Christianity will collapse upon itself. And so it is today that the attacks are leveled against Christ. They come against Jesus Because if your understanding of Jesus is contaminated, then your whole theology or your whole understanding of God will eventually drift into falsehood. We may have things that we differ on in the faith, but we cannot differ upon who Jesus is. He is the anchor. We must be rock solid in our understanding of Christ. And Paul, in his opening words, immediately takes on the question, who is Jesus? And over the next couple of weeks, I want to walk with you through this, answering that question through Paul's exhortation here, who is Jesus? Who is Christ? We're only going to look at one today. We're not going to take a long time with this. This is basically an introduction. But I want to begin right here. Who is Jesus? He is our Deliverer. He is our Deliverer. How many of you are thankful today that He is our Deliverer? That He has no rival as we sung before. Paul said in Colossians 1 in verse 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. I love that. The kingdom of the Son of His love. You may remember that when Jesus was baptized, as He came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon Him in the form of a dove. And the Father from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now here is the Apostle Paul picking up on that and saying that the kingdom is the kingdom of the Son of His love. And sees Him as our deliverer. Now, to be accurate... To be absolutely true to the Scripture, uh, God the Father is the one Paul is saying has delivered us. When he says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness, he is actually referring to God the Father. 
But I do not believe that it is a stretch to say that to the extent that the Father has delivered us through the Son of His love, that Jesus is also our Deliverer. That Jesus Christ is the one who has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His, the Son of His love. He has delivered us from the power of darkness or the authority of darkness and has conveyed or has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, what does all of that mean? We hear that often, He is our deliverer. But what exactly does that mean? What is the extent of this deliverance that has occurred in Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, it means that before Christ came into our lives, all of us were under the authority of darkness. More than power of darkness, it really is the authority of darkness. That before Christ came into our lives, all of us were under the power and authority of darkness. You know, the Jews would often use light and darkness to define the spiritual and invisible kingdoms of God and the evil one. Of evil and good. And certainly the Bible bears that out. From cover to cover, we know that there are two spiritual kingdoms, two invisible kingdoms that exist, though we cannot see them with the physical eye, that are influencing and impacting the world that we live in today. There is the kingdom of God, and there is the kingdom of darkness, or the kingdom of the evil one. And we also know that God, by His Spirit, is trying to influence the hearts of those who call upon His name, that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we also know that every day, the spirit of the wicked one is working with the sons of disobedience in order to bring rebellion against the kingdom of God into this earth. These two kingdoms are constantly in conflict in this world that we live in today. And before Christ came into our lives, we were all children of wrath, abiding under the authority of the kingdom of darkness. But don't, don't in any way feel sorry for yourself because you weren't taken captive. This was your own willful choice. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Whenever I read that, I, I always underscore that last part, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. What that is conveying to you and I is that Satan did not take us captive and bring us into his kingdom. We surrendered to him. That is very important. There's too many of us that feel sorry for ourselves as if Satan took us captive. Satan didn't take you captive. You surrendered to the enemy by disobeying God. You gave yourself over to the power of darkness by being a son or a daughter of disobedience. And before Christ came, you walked according to the course of the world, which was according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, who is the spirit that even now works in the sons of disobedience. Whenever I disobey God, I am giving place for the enemy to work in my life. 
The Bible says that we were all in this kingdom of darkness under the power and the authority of darkness. Now, it's interesting because in the past we have said that darkness is not really a power, that darkness is nothing more than the absence of light, and that is true. God did not create darkness. Darkness is just the absence of light. God created the light and he separated it from the darkness. But darkness is not a power. It, it doesn't really have strength. When you leave a room, you do not turn off the darkness. You turn off the light. We, we understand that. We, 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 don't, we know that darkness doesn't have any power. But I think that all of you would agree with me that darkness does affect man. On a physical level and on a spiritual level. We know that continual exposure to darkness has a profound effect upon the psyche and even the body of a man or a woman. We know that sleep is induced by darkness. We know that depression can come if you are exposed to darkness for a long period of time. That fear can come if you are exposed to darkness for a long period of time. That you can feel trapped if you're exposed to darkness for a long time because you don't navigate that well in the darkness. In extreme darkness, you're terrified to even move because you don't know what is in the darkness. You don't know what you might run into. You don't know what you might trip over. You don't know what you may fall off. And so you're, you're very trapped when you're in darkness. And can I tell you that the same thing happens in the spirit. When you are in darkness, there is a sleep that comes upon you so that you do not recognize the hour that you live in and now quickly judgment is coming. When you're exposed to spiritual darkness, there is depression, there is fear, there is even a sense of bondage that you are trapped, that you do not know a way out of what is tormenting you and what is hurting you. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you didn't know it, but you were in the kingdom of darkness. And that is why you're depressed. And that's why you're afraid. And that's why you're tormented. And that's why you feel trapped. And while you go looking for answers everywhere else, there is no answer except... In Jesus Christ, because only He can deliver you from the power of darkness. You see, that's what else we learn, is that Jesus came, and when He came, that changed for all who believe upon Him. If you know what I'm talking about, just give Him praise. The moment that you meet Jesus Christ, He takes you from that power of darkness, and He sets you free once and for all. Jesus came to be our deliverer. We know that in the very first sermon that he preached in his hometown, he stood in the synagogue that he was raised in, and he was handed the Old Testament Scriptures, and he opened them up to Isaiah 61, and he read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And the Bible goes on to tell us that when he finished reading that, he closed the book and then he sat down and everyone was looking at Jesus and then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus was saying 
question is, this long-awaited prophecy is now fulfilled. I am the man whom the Spirit of the Lord has come upon. And I have come to proclaim a liberty to the captives. I've come to heal the broken heart. To take away your fear. To take away your depression. I have come to set you free from the traps of Satan and sin within your heart and your life. And he who the sun sets free is free indeed. He is our deliverer today. Can you give him praise in this house? In Jesus' name. I was looking at that word deliver this past week and it's so interesting. And this is why I love digging out these words. The word deliver here or deliverer is carrying more than just the idea of one who sets you free. But it is also conveying the idea that the reason that they have set you free is because they have greater power than whatever or whoever has held you in captivity. That word was chosen specifically not to just convey that Jesus sets you free, but that he has the power to keep you free because he has greater power than whatever or whoever had you in captivity in the first place. Can I tell you this morning, someone stronger has come. Someone greater has come. His name is Jesus. Come on, can you give Him praise if you believe that today? He can not only set you free, He has the power to keep you free from bondage in the future. In Jesus' name. This is why when Jesus was walking on this earth, He would come into a room or He would come upon a scene and those who were demon-possessed or oppressed, or tormented by unclean spirits, would immediately begin to shriek and scream. And they would say, what do we have to do with you, son of man? Have you come to torment us before our time? Because they knew that someone greater had shown up, and that their kingdom was falling right there before their very eyes. You see, for decades, if not for centuries, their power had gone uncontested by a dead religious system. But now Jesus had come and they knew that their moments were now numbered I'm going to tell you someone greater has come and has overcome the enemy so that you and I are free in Jesus name this is why Jesus said in Luke 11 when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace his goods are in peace but when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils Jesus came and he has eluded the enemy so that you and I could be free when I read that the other day I was reminded of what it says in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15 speaking of Christ it says he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it on the cross of Jesus Christ he stripped the enemy of all of his power he literally disarmed him of any of his weaponry he is absolutely and totally defeated today we're not fighting to win the victory we are only fighting to maintain the victory that we have already won in Jesus Christ he is our deliverer and he has set us free in Jesus name delivered means that he has saved us that he has set us free from all of those things that once bound us that once shackled us we have been freed from it in Christ so that means if I still find myself in bondage that I have not truly been set free by Christ. 
that I simply have heard that freedom is available and I celebrate it, but I have never experienced it. I'm going to tell you, that is a hard thing for people to hear, but the reality is there are probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of professing believers today that have never experienced freedom. And though they come into church and they celebrate that freedom is available to them, it has never become a reality in their life. Because all they have ever known is that Jesus delivered them. They have never learned that he conveyed them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. See, don't overlook that. The Bible does not say that he just delivered us from the power of darkness. It says that he conveyed us to the kingdom of the son of his love. And there is a difference. There's a difference in just being a deliverer and one who transfers or conveys you to another kingdom. So complete, so comprehensive, so exhaustive was the deliverance of Jesus Christ that he didn't just open up the prison doors, but he literally has taken us from the kingdom of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of light. As I understand it, the word conveyed in the original Greek language in Paul's day was a word that was used to describe an empire that invades another empire and having soundly defeated that empire, gathers up all of the population and then transfers them or conveys them to their kingdom. They now take them prisoner, if you will, back to their kingdom so that now the old kingdom has passed away and now a new kingdom reigns supreme. You are now under the authority of that kingdom. You now surrender all of your rights and all of your wishes and all of your desires to this new kingdom and your alliances to that. And this is the word that the apostle Paul used when he said that not only did Jesus deliver us from the power of darkness, but he has conveyed us to the kingdom of almighty God. What he is saying is not only did he come and open up the prison doors to those that are bound, but to those who are willing, as it says in Ephesians 4, he led captivity captive and he says, follow me. And he takes us into a brand new kingdom where we surrender our desires and our wants and our wills and we surrender to the will of Almighty God because we're no longer in the kingdom of darkness, but we are in the kingdom of light in Jesus' name. And that's why, personally, I believe, that many professing Christians never walk in freedom because they want freedom, but they want freedom to live their lives as they determine. And God says, no, no, no. If you want real freedom, then you're going to have to follow me and I'm going to lead you into my kingdom where you die to yourself and you live for my glory and for my honor alone. Come on, folks. We were called to literally glorify the kingdom of God within our lives, within our conducts. Men and women should now see us and say, they are not of this world. They are of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was saying. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven because you are now manifesting the kingdom of God in your life. Mm. I'm going to share one more thing and then we're done, believe it or not. 
This was hard on my heart the other day. Do you remember in Exodus 33 when Moses asked of God, show me your glory? Remember that? Lord, show me your glory. Do you remember God's response to him? Listen to what he said very quickly in verse 19. Then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Now, what God said in its entirety to Moses was, Moses, listen, you ask a very noble thing, and I wish that I could show you my glory. Now, glory is, and I've mentioned this before, glory is a very hard word to translate into the English language, but essentially it means his character or his nature. When he asked, show me your glory, he was actually saying, show me the fullness of your character. Show me the fullness of your nature. Show me who you are. Show me your personality. Show me everything about you. And God says, I I, I want to show that to you, but you can't contain that. My character and my nature are so awesome and so powerful that if you were to look upon it with physical eyes, you would die immediately. You can't do that. But I don't want to leave you hanging either. My words, not his, okay? He says, I I want to honor that. So here's what I'm going to do. Moses, I'm going to put you in a hollowed out rock, the cleft of the rock. You've probably heard it that way. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, this hollowed out part of of a rock. I'm going to put you in there and I'm going to walk by. But as I get near you, I'm going to put my hand over and protect you from the fullness of my character. But when I get by you, I'm going to remove my hand and you're going to see my back. Unless you think he was gypped, God says, my back is my goodness. The the goodness of God I am going to reveal. Isn't that awesome? Goodness of God is his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. And I just get excited that when God manifested himself to a man the first time, he showed him his love, his goodness, his mercy, his forbearance with mankind. That's what he wants us to see, is that he's a good God and his mercy endures forever. Come on. And so he does just that. Now, that had more of an effect on Moses than he was even aware of. Because you know that in the next chapter, he came down out of the mountain where God revealed himself. And literally, look what happens here. Exodus 34, verse 30. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near to him. Literally, just getting a glimpse of the goodness and mercy of God lit up his face. He had a Holy Ghost sunburn that lasted for a long time. They saw him come out of there and they couldn't even look at him because his face was shining with the goodness of God. He had been in the kingdom of God and now the kingdom was radiating on his face so much so that they had to put a veil on him just so that he could talk to the average man or woman. Now listen. Do you remember, now we're going to fast forward, do you remember what the Apostle Paul said leads men and women to repentance according to Romans 2 and verse 4? He said, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It is the goodness of God that leads men and women to repentance. 
Can I tell you, hell does not lead men and women to repentance. Dangling them over flames does not lead an intelligent man to repentance. It is the goodness of God on the backdrop of the evil of man that actually leads an intelligent man to a place of true repentance. Can I tell you that 2,000 years ago, God caused all of His goodness to walk across the human stage in a man named Jesus Christ. Christ. Jesus came to reveal the goodness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. How do I know that? Oh, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes upon Him would not perish but have everlasting life. What manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we would be called the children of Almighty God? God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, I'm going to tell you God has caused His goodness to pass by mankind in His Son, Jesus Christ. And those who have seen the goodness of God in Christ, they have repented of their sin. And now they go about like Moses, radiating the goodness of God in this earth so that when men and women see us, they don't see us, but they see a God in heaven that loves them and will set them free from sin in Jesus' mighty and glorious name. And that's why Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and verse number 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. My friend, He is our deliverer. We have not just been set free from darkness. We have been transferred into the kingdom of light. And now like Moses, we need to go out throughout this earth, demonstrate, the one who called us out because he calls them out in Jesus' mighty name. Can you give God the praise if you believe that this morning? Come on, stand to your feet. Come on, stand to your feet and lift up your hands, lift up your voices and give him all the praise in this house. We glorify you, God. We magnify your name, Lord Jesus. Come on, let the praises of the Lord flow from your mouth today. Don't be silent in the presence of God. Let him be exalted. Hallelujah. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. We bless your name. Hallelujah. 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 We glorify your name, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 We worship you, almighty God. Hallelujah. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. There's no one looking around here for the next few moments. Man, there is no way that I could preach this without maybe taking a moment for anyone who may be here today who does not know Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. I know that it may be unsettling I know that it may be hard to fully comprehend and I wish I could take time to really break it down. But there are two invisible kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the wicked one. And if you are obedient to God and you have 
surrendered your life to him and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone, then by his grace you are in the kingdom of God. But if not, you're still under the sway of the evil one. And you may do good works, and you may believe in God, you may pray to God, you may say you know God. But the question that we ask you to do today is, what have you done with this man named Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you experienced a freedom that can only be described as being transferred from one kingdom to another? The Bible says that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And because we are sinners, there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves right. Criminals do not decide how they're going to make themselves right with the state. They throw themselves at the mercy of the court. In the same way, we have violated the laws of God and we cannot determine how we're going to make it right with Him. We have to come in the way that He has provided and He has provided a way of salvation through His Son of Jesus Christ. The only way, the truth, and the life. And apart from Him, there is no entrance into the kingdom of God. And so as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want you to ask yourself, can I say that I have surrendered my life to Jesus? Have I given my life to Him? If you haven't, this morning we would love to give you an opportunity to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus because He will deliver you and He will transfer you to His kingdom today in Jesus' name. 2,000 years ago, the goodness of the Father walked across the human stage in Jesus. In spite of our sin, Jesus loves us, gave his life for us. Will you come to him today? His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. There's no one looking around. If today you want to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior, would you just lift up your hand right where you are and say, Pastor, would you pray with me? I need Jesus. Is there anyone that would raise their hand today? I see that hand. See another hand over here. God bless you. Just raise it up high. Don't be ashamed. Don't be bashful. We want to pray with you today. See some hands way in the back. God bless you. A number of hands have come before us today. Thank you so much. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask all of our elders, our deacons, and any of our pastors that might be here and their wives, if they would just come and stand here across the front here this morning. Just come right now. Just our elders, our deacons, pastors, and their wives. Just come and stretch right across.